Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow patriots and a forgotten American taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. It is Daniel Horowitz, your host, back in the house on this Wednesday, February 5th, hangover from that long night of the State of the Union. And look, if for nothing else, I'm thankful for the State of the Union that at least we're not talking about Iowa. Man, I I thought some of my colleagues yesterday were getting ready to file lawsuits on behalf of Bernie and the Democrats. (laughs) I've I've never seen them this uh, uh, motivated, man. Like, oh, it's so unfair what the Democrats did. Boy, if only they would get this animated about Republican primaries. But yeah, I mean, there's something about Democrats that just really makes so-called conservative media figures very excited. Um, They don't seem to be too excited about influencing the people that they could actually influence. But whatevs. Anyway, so we had the State of the Union address last night and it's really proven the thesis that I have laid as a foundation since the beginning of this presidency. And that is Trump has a tool in his arsenal that is more powerful than anyone else in politics and in many respects more powerful than any previous president. We talk a lot about checks and balances, system of government. He has the veto pen, which is very powerful. We talk a lot about different executive powers versus the powers of the other branches of government, some of his political adversaries, Democrats. But there's one thing he has that is so unbelievably powerful, it could serve as a juggernaut for his adversaries, and it could serve as a means, not an end, but a means of doing so much good, so much transformational good to restoring our republic, our sovereignty, our security, our civil society, our markets, our freedom. And that is the bully pulpit. So many of you might expect me to say, look, there was a lot of liberal stuff in the speech I didn't like, in addition to some of the good stuff. And and we'll get to that. We'll go through some of the individual things. But I think when you look at some of the um, downsides of this administration, some of the shortcomings, some of the places where we failed to make plays with a man open down the field that we could have made, I think last night's speech demonstrates that I've been right all along, that there is so much more we could achieve with this man and this presidency than we have achieved. And that if we only stayed focused and got in the president's face, had a united front to push him to stay relentlessly focused on a couple of issues, he could have a terrific second term. So again, Most people you turn on that call themselves conservative in the media. I don't even know what conservative means anymore in this day and age. But most of them, 99% will be like, oh my God, that was amazing. This is great. Look at this. They're on cloud nine. He owned Pelosi. Pelosi looks like a fool. You'll have about 1% on the other hand say, look at how much Big government socialism was adopted. Um, Trump's destroying conservatism. And then there's me, (laughs) 
which I think is where most of you are at. And that is, look, the president's instincts on most issues are where we are. He wants to do what we want to do. Even on the issues where he's bad on, it's often just because there's nobody pushing him in the other direction. And it's all Javanka getting what they want. And it's not like Republicans before Trump have been good on spending and debt and limited government and those type of issues. So it's not like you're losing out on that. And that what you see from the positive of the president and how you see how masterfully he uses the theatrics and the bully pulpit that demonstrates how much potential there is to achieve so much more on some of those issues that we're a little bit disappointed with that we didn't achieve enough or that we're downright moving in the opposite direction. And as always, I'm going to go with that middle balanced approach because I think that is the true approach. So obviously what was very clear last night is that, you know, every speech he's given in Congress since the beginning of his presidency was always well-received. The media cannot touch it with a glove. Often because whereas most presidents, the norm is for them to deliver prepared coined remarks. When Trump actually delivers a prepared disciplined speech, it sounds even more presidential just because they're not, people aren't used to it coming from him. And, but it also has this added effect that he does still stick in his own tone. That's more, Uh, down to earth than the typical politician. And I think it's tremendously effective. But, you know, you look at the theatrics and again, a lot of you would expect me to say, screw theatrics, show me the beef, show me the outcomes, the bad stuff you're enacting, the good stuff you've been talking about, but haven't enacted, show me the beef. And some of you are going to want me to say that. And it's true on some level. It's true on a lot of levels. We're going to talk about some of those items. But I, but I think it's important to note that there are times when theatrics are appropriate. And I think the, the, the most important thing he did, in my mind, was not speak about impeachment. Was to let it stand for itself. He acted presidential. They looked very small. And I think there are times for patriotism, a display of patriotism with reuniting a uh, military family live at the at the State of the Union. The stuff with that, the grandchild um, who wants to get involved in the Space Force and his grandfather, who was one of the first uh, black pilots, 100-year-old veteran. Obviously, the Rush Limbaugh moment. Every other president has used props, Republican, Democrats at the State of the Union, and they're usually kind of funky, nerdy, cheesy. This really, I mean, it was something else, and I think anyone would have to admit that. So to me, I I think theatrics and bully pulpit, I think they're very important. But they're very important if they are used in the long run as a means to an end not an end itself. And my biggest takeaway before we get into specifics is that we've been told throughout the last few years by Republicans, phony conservatives, people that don't care about results and outcomes. Oh, Daniel, stop being so tough. Uh, We can't expect so much. Uh, The judges ate my homework. Uh, Well, the filibuster, the 60 vote threshold. Well, we can't do anything. It's impossible. We're never going to get this done. Bull. 
Last night's speech demonstrated. You know this is true. If the president, every time the ball is actually in play, the outcome is in contention, every time you have a major current event, whether it's Pensacola, whether it's a shooting, whether it's criminal alien stuff going on, crime stuff going on, and the president would give a major speech, a series of major speech, speeches with victims, with props, relentlessly drive a narrative, call for a very specific policy and use the veto threat and say, I will veto a bill that doesn't contain this, force McConnell to bring up a bill. We could have had a very different presidency the first few years with those budget bills that were all full of Democrat stuff. He could have done this on debt. He could have done this on, um, you know, downsizing the Department of Education. He could have done this on crime. He could have done this on the funding for ICE, the wall, you name it. He could have done it. And it could still be done. If you remember last July, I wrote a column called The American August. And I gave a 15-point plan for Trump to give a major speech, say, how dare Congress take off the entire August, use his constitutional authority to call them back in session, and have McConnell every day of the week force votes on these sort of winning issues. And I will tell you, he could have done that and it could have been successful. Obviously, this was a very upbeat, kind of positive, unifying speech that was also very ideologically moderate, um, really could have been given by any GOP president, typical GOP politician, you know, minus some of his own trademarks and stuff about trade. The sanctuary portion was really the the highlight of the night, as I wrote about today, um, which, again, I think he could have done that on some other issues as well. That's the potential that was lost. But on sanctuaries, he was great really just laid it bare for the people. I mean, you you could just look at those Frank Luntz meters where he would meter people and then swing voters how they feel. And you could tell that was a hundred zero issue when he had an angel family there dressed down Pelosi for California government, California's government letting out the worst foreign national criminals. It is completely indefensible. As I've said before, if we had a sustained national debate on this with the president focused every day on these stories, you could remake American politics. Maybe you could even win in blue states on it. No doubt in my mind. I think that was proven last night. So... Where I think things fell short, where there's a lack of potential, there's a couple of generalities and then some specifics. But before that, I just want to say that when I talk about falling short, I mean, to me, the president, there is nothing really new about last night. And that includes some of the things that you and I as conservatives don't like. There's nothing really new about it. I mean, he's bought into it until now. There was no new liberal policy that he announced last night that I could remember. So a lot of this just to remember is where Trump is, he did as good as he can. Now, he doesn't have to be where he is. Remember, a lot of you who are like, oh, whatever Trump says is is God's word. Like, remember, it's not even coming from Trump. And any State of the Union address of any president reflects competing visions within the administration. And this is certainly true 
with Trump, who probably has the widest spectrum of people in the administration from full-born swamp to full-born patriots. And you kind of see that schizophrenic outcome. Javanka gets what they want. Stephen Miller will get in his things here and there. Now, we'll, I will say that relative to the inaugural address and some of the earlier uh, State of the Union addresses, this was a lot more kind of the mushy stuff than the more America first stuff. But it did have its moments. But again, just just remember that when you look at the good, that demonstrates the potential for how that could be replicated on many, many other issues. So I didn't like the biggest generality that that I didn't like was this. Whenever you're a president towards the end of a first term and you're seeking a second term. So there's always a balance when you're giving that fourth year State of the Union address. On the one hand, you really want to give a positive uh, review of the State of the Union to demonstrate, well, look at all the good things I've done. Even though, of course, you know, both presidents kind of fudged the economic data that a lot of it, you know, was slated to be that way when they were coming in and whatever. And again, both sides do that. But at the same time, you do want to inveigh against things. You do want to rail against certain things. You do want to demonstrate that we have some major problems that aren't your that you're doing and you you pin the blame on on somewhere to give you an impetus for being elected for a second term that we have more to do. Reagan always did this, but there's more we need to do. And I felt on balance, I was a little bit surprised. This was so positive that's like Man, I mean, America's greater than it's ever been. The culture is the greatest it's ever been. The economy is the greatest it's ever been. The border is the greatest. He said the border is safer than ever. I mean, dude, come on. Um, you know, healthcare is greater than ever. Oh, it's almost like healthcare was solved. Even though we literally owned Obamacare, it's the same dumpster fire as when he got into office. Come on. I mean, he could have... Easily, he has the job numbers on his side, the income numbers. That was all accurate. He could have, he was right to start off with that. But there's no reason why he couldn't have done what he did on one issue, which was sanctuaries, saying this is appalling. Liberal politicians are doing this. It must stop. I call on Congress to do this. I have an article out today how he could actually make that a reality, not just a talking point, a lot of specifics including that piece of legislation that he called about the the changes that need to be made to it. I have that all in an article today that we'll link to in show notes. But I would have liked to see him do this a little more broadly on immigration, beyond sanctuaries, on health care and on crime. Okay, not, not on everything. You don't have to paint a picture of America falling apart. But on balance, I wish there would have been a little bit more to say, Look, you know, I've done some good things executively on healthcare, but as you all know, with Obamacare um, and with all of the garbage even before Obamacare, there is, I'm limited in what I can do. Congress needs to fix our broken healthcare system. He could have done that. There's no reason for that. As I said before, If you read one thing from me, read my article from yesterday. Google my name. Bernie Sanders is a fake populist. A lot of people are telling me, well, Daniel, nobody wants limited government. Uh, We we can't. You know, Trump was never going to do that. 
bull. It's all how you message it. It's all how you message it. And I gave a blueprint on issue after issue in that piece to how to disarm Bernie and demonstrate how it is their market distortions, their regulatory and subsidy structure that is creating inequality, that is empowering wealthy lobbyists at the expense of American consumers, a consumer bill of rights. Nowhere is this more evident than with healthcare. The narrative that people like me and Congressman Chip Roy have been putting out, you could give a very populist message that is both free market and conservative and constitutional on this issue. Why are we owning healthcare as our own? Like somehow we're owning Obamacare. And this is what bothers me. In one breath, we say we're against socialism. Oh, and, and, and the president was pretty strong on that last night. But define socialism. Healthcare as it is, is already 80% socialist. See, there's one thing if the American people love healthcare the way it is. They love the system. They love the insurance companies. They love Obamacare. And it's Bernie wants to make take away the other 20%, make it 100% socialist. Okay, we rail against it. But the American people don't want it. Everyone hates it. I mean, whenever I tweet about the insurance companies and, you know, my whole story with GoodRx having my coupon because they were denying even a Z-Pack for my kid who had strep throat, everyone could relate to that stuff. Parlay it into free market. Instead, it's like, Oh, we use their language. We're going to cover pre-existing conditions, more handouts. Oh, but I oppose socialism and Bernie Sanders. Folks, this is how we move the Overton window more and more and more to the left. We use a talking point to invade against the most radical futuristic thing on the agenda of the left while codifying as our own everything they've done until now and continue to do. So we owned the bad healthcare system as our own Oh, but don't do Obamacare. Then they did Obamacare. Now we're owning Obamacare as our own, but don't do Bernie Sanders, whatever his next thing is. And it will be the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We need to reset the baseline on that. Healthcare has been a very big disappointment. And I, I was like, what planet is the president living on when he said it, healthcare was horrible when I got in and now it's great? Again, the... the, the Unlike the job numbers where it would have reflected bad on him if the president would have said the job numbers are bad or something, which they're not, it wouldn't reflect on him to say like somehow he failed. No, I mean, he didn't have the votes to repeal Obamacare and say, look, he, uh, he talked about price transparency, which if done right, could be some good things. He did some good things. But I mean, it's the same thing that Americans cannot afford private insurance on their own. Tell me if you could afford it. And the group plans are more expensive than ever. Employers are paying more than ever. It's worse than ever. The mergers and acquisitions, the monopoly is being created. There's a whole article in the Wall Street Journal recently about big hospital conglomerates working with um, Silicon Valley to give out private data and information for their algorithms. That's what happens when, when they get government-created monopolies. I could rail against the millionaires and billionaires, as Bernie Sanders says, but actually do so in a truthful, free market, constitutional way. Yeah, I agree. You can't just get up there and say we need limited government cut spending. That's that's only going to resonate with a certain number of people. There's a much stronger message than that. So I don't think the president needed to own health care and lie about it as if it's good. 
that somehow it would reflect badly on him if he didn't know this is what he needs to do with his second term. Lay down the baseline. Let's strive for something better. Again, this is what I hate is when our side becomes a defeat mechanism. Oh, the judiciary is better than ever. We have so many in the pile. Uh, nothing more to do. And again, I, I want to go back, go to the judiciary. Everyone's telling me, Daniel, what do we do? What do we do if a judge says this? Trump answered that question last night. He has a, a million times greater megaphone than any stupid district judge who has no megaphone. Crush them. Give a major speech. You know, after a judge says ICE can't enforce immigration law passed unanimously by Congress, Trump should get up there, talk about the legislative history, talk about statute, list all the court cases, have someone write this speech. I could write it for him. Have angel families in the audience showing how these people died because courts have allowed criminal aliens to remain in this country. And you tell me he'd have no leg to stand on. Sidelining the, the, these uh, illegal court decisions. But instead, if we're like, crime is better than ever. The border is better than ever. Healthcare is better than ever. The judiciary is better than ever. Well, I mean, if you got the ball in the end zone, then there's going to be no movement to actually improve on it. And all those things are worse than ever. So the first thing I jumped out of my seat with that I was just like really pissed off with, and, and, and you guys know this, I know a lot of you guys were emailing me, is crime. Um, okay, so now, look, I'm going to count my blessings. I was really worried he would repeat the Super Bowl ad and have some sort of drug trafficking piece of crap in the audience as a prop that was let out of jail. Thank God he didn't do that. And instead, he had an angel family. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. But when the pre president was going on a riff and just listing all of the things that are really good, you know, income high, unemployment low, the economy's humming. Crime. Crime is down. We crime is down. We reduce crime. I'm like, damn, president, you could have done what you did on sanctuary cities. He could have said, look. I've reversed some of Obama's war on the cops, but there's more to be done. Like Reagan used the bully pulpit, that expression originally in, in relation to crime. He should have called out New York and California and said, I demand that you stop releasing violent criminals to victimize needless Americans. And if you're going to continue doing this, I'm going to call on the U.S. attorneys to hit these people up on firearms and drug and racketeering charges, and we're going to lock them up. And then I would have parlayed that into the following. And you know what? You are the very same liberal politicians that claim that you care about gun violence and you want to steal law-abiding citizens' guns so they can't protect themselves when you let out violent gun felons. Could you imagine the power of that moment? And you know what? I'm not, I could even go with the president's already javankered up view on this issue. So, of course, he bragged about the stupid jailbreak, which more and more that's becoming a thing. The president could have easily, easily struck a moderate tone by saying, look, I did criminal justice reform the responsible way. Now, look, between us, you know, it's not. It's a lie. They are violent criminals, but whatevs. Perceptions, reality, fine. He could have used that Meet me halfway, but for you guys to let out violent criminals, this is unacceptable. 
Instead, the president was like, crime's, crime's down. Well, I guess there's nothing to talk about. I guess there's nothing more for us to say. Crime's up in the biggest city in America, New York City. It's up in Chicago. It's up in Baltimore. Fulton County had the record high murders. Twin Cities, Minnesota, record high murders. Crime is up in Seattle. Bunch of different places. It's not up everywhere, but it's up in a lot of key places. So I'm just saying there was no reason for that. You don't have to. I mean, this is my biggest concern about the era we're living in is that because Trump has so much cachet with conservatives, much more than any Republican president, that they're not going to fight for anything he doesn't fight for. And if if he just says a problem is solved, then the problem is solved in their mind, and we're never going to fight for it. Okay, let's move on. So, again, at the beginning, he talked about the economy. The economy is better than ever. The job market, an argument could be made, is better than ever. The economy, it's growing at 2%. Highest it hit was 2.9%. We have failed to hit 3 or 4%. This is the first time in American history we have not hit 3 4 5% with a sustained period of unemployment below 4%. The reason is because of the very debt and socialism embedded in these budget bills that he has signed. See, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, Daniel, nobody cares about the debt. Shut up about the debt. Oh, but our economy is greater than ever. Well, no, actually, our economy is only growing at 2%. No, it's greater than ever. Look at unemployment and the income's going up. Well, but then why is the growth so low? It's because of the debt. <laughs> you know, so obviously that's there. Um, the president talked about being um, pro-worker. We're pro-worker. Well, we have record numbers of low-skilled foreign workers that have been brought in under this administration. Again, I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I'm just trying to show how, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. And 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 he could easily sync his rhetoric with, with reality, but sometimes the opposite is occurring because there's good people in the admin, there's bad people in the admin. The, the bad people are always going to be focused. The bad guys are always focused on what they want. If our supposed side is just drunk on stupidity, and not focused, well, you're going to get this outcome. And then it's a vicious cycle because once you get that outcome, then, oh, it becomes Trump's position. And then, well, I can't argue against it because it's Trump when really, ironically, it was the swamp. Jailbreak was all the swamp. The guest workers is all the swamp. And again, I'm sick of hearing this crap that, oh, Trump was always going to be a big government guy. It's not true. Yes, on Social Security and Medicare, he says, like, we're not going to touch it. He's always said that, and no other Republican was going to deal with that anyway. But as I said, I could live with that because if you actually fix structurally healthcare in America, you take care of a lot of Medicare, and you take care of welfare, and you take care of discretionary spending. So then you're just left with Social Security. It's a lot more of a manageable problem. I, I could live with that. Not that I'm saying that there's no way to deal with Social Security, but I'm fine with putting that off to deal with lower-hanging fruit. But we're not even dealing with that. We are we have record spending for the Department of Education, record, record spending for HUD. All this garbage. Oh, Trump was always going to be that way. It's not true. Trump put out he put his name on budgets that were the best budgets ever 
proposed by a Republican president. He has the most conservative budget director of anyone of, you know, in, in recent mem- memory, recent history. Russ vote. Don't tell me like, oh, Trump would never go along with this. He introduced it. Now, again, you know, you, you leave the swamp to its own devices. And we, we stay unfocused. They put crappy bills that fund every liberal bureaucratic program that creates more liberal votes and then doesn't fund ICE and proper border security. Yeah, he'll sign that, too. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Another another thing that really struck me that's related to the economy and spending and, and big government. Trump talk about, talked about record jobs, and he talked about people coming off of welfare. I felt that would have been the perfect time for him to parlay it into the next sentence. And therefore, now is the time for Congress to do welfare reform. Now that people are seeking a paycheck and not a welfare check, there's so many opportunities. Come join our economy. With so many jobs available, Now is the perfect time for us all to agree on work requirements for welfare. Trump supports this. The administration at an executive level has given states waivers to do this at a state level. Don't tell me Trump doesn't support it. He does. Republicans promised. Remember, they did one thing, which was the tax cuts when they had trifecta control. That was the first year. And remember, even if you have the filibuster, you could use what's called budget reconciliation to get around it to enact one thing. They use that for tax cuts. The second year, they promised at that annual policy retreat, January 2018, to use budget reconciliation that year for welfare reform. They lied and didn't do it. There's no reason that can't be done. So don't use the straw man that, oh, Trump's not going to do anything about Social Security and Medicare to, to say he wouldn't do anything about the other welfare programs. Okay? But instead, we don't get that. We have paid leave where now he's calling on all oh, the federal workers. That's real MAGA. Federal workers, Democrat voters didn't get enough. They don't have enough benefits. Don't they don't. I mean, dude, I, I have people in my neighborhood. I told you this already. Uh, the main. Uh, Social Security headquarters is in West Baltimore. So there's so many people who work there. These guys, I don't know what they do for a living. They're home half the time. They have like six months a year of vacation and you're just run of the mill computer guy there earns one hundred twenty, hundred thirty thousand dollars $130,000, massive pension. Unlike us, they don't have to pay a penny for health care. Um, early retirement if they want. I actually have a guy in this area who's um, he worked for Social Security he retired in his 50s, but he started a very successful real estate business while he was earning that salary there full time. Um, that just shows you how much you have to work. And it wasn't just like a side business. I mean, he was big. His his signs um, are up everywhere uh, for, for real estate. And then eventually, you know, he retired when he was like 55 and did that full time. It's a complete joke. But um, Ivanka care. This is what we got. This is what we got. One thing after another, more spending, more programs, more handouts. And again, this begs the question, friends, what the hell is the definition of socialism? It's classic republicanism. We rail against the left in like a broad way, but then when it comes to specificity, we do it. 
And that's how you continue again to move that Overton window to the left, to the left, to the left, to the left. It doesn't have to be this way. I have a vision that I laid out. Maybe we'll talk about it more tomorrow on my Bernie Sanders piece on how you could combat them on economics without selling your soul. I don't agree that the, the, the State of the Union address was so well-received and, 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 and um, successful because of the liberal crap in it. It was because of, the, because of the theatrics. It was because of his tone. He could have easily done without that. There's no, that was not needed. This notion that, oh, Daniel, I agree with you, but it was good politics. No, it wasn't. It's better politics to do what I'm proposing. Um, immigration. Immigration. So aside from, aside from uh, sanctuaries, it really was very light. Um, he did mention very briefly, you were going to, you know, bring in better people, more merit-based. But again, the president set the baseline now that he is against lowering the numbers. He's against lowering the numbers. He made that very clear. See, what bothers me about a lot of things last night, and, and, and again, last night is nothing new. The speech was good. The bad stuff is just, it's a reiteration of what we're already seeing in this administration. It's not like I saw any surprises there. But what bothers me is this. It used to be, I, I would watch Republicans, George W. Bush, or Republicans in the 90s, they would always speak. And it, it always, it was kind of like bisexual. It was like, well, is that a man or a female? Is that, you know, conservative or liberal? I can't even tell. You know, they would just speak in kind of mushy tones. And, you know, we'd be we'd be sitting in front of the TV and I'd be like, well, you know, they mean this, but they're scared of the media. So they're just expressing that way. And my father would look at me and laugh and say, you know, Daniel, come on. You know, <laughs> they don't mean that they're saying it not because they're too scared to say say they're saying the liberal stuff because they are liberal and they mean it. If you're not willing to say our stuff, you're not willing to do our stuff. And look, it's the same thing. Like. My concern is if Trump felt, OK, I need to, you know, give this throwaway to this constituency, try to win this constituency. I, I could live with that. But but I think what some of you might be concerned with and and again, email me dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Let me know your thoughts. If you think I'm too mushy on Trump, if I'm too tough on him, um, I know I get it from both ends. I could never win. But. I will tell you. That. My concern is that the good stuff will not be enacted, but the bad stuff, it's not just a throwaway line. We're seeing the administration move in that direction. So as I noted, my 10-point plan on sanctuary cities, none of that is being done. We're losing. Sanctuaries are driving ICE apprehensions into the ground. They're succeeding. They're not doing the things that they need to be doing. He's not using the bully pulpit consistently enough and the strategies and not uh, supporting the right people in primaries veto pen, budget bills, executive actions, pushing back against the courts, all the things we talk about. But when it comes to the stuff with more foreign workers, I mean, the president has given into that already. That is actually happening. And what's interesting is a lot of people are telling me, well, Daniel, look, stop complaining about the big government stuff. Let's face it. Daniel, we got to win immigration. So 
I'm willing to go along with the socialism because it's all demographics anyway, and we're going to lose that anyway if we don't get the demographics under control. Okay, I, I get a tons of notes saying that. So then why the hell is he not reducing the numbers? Okay, like this is the problem. He's given up on that. The president also said, we're going to bring in those who, quote, share our values. This is what we've been talking about all week in light of Pensacola and in light of his newest proclamation on, on a so-called travel ban. He's given up on that. As he as Trump himself said, you can't bring in people with your values if you bring in too many in great numbers from countries that have values problems. That's number one. Number two is his proclamation gave up on it. I mean, Breitbart has a great piece out today reiterating what I've been saying for months. The travel ban is almost nothing. They're letting in on waivers just as many people as we typically brought in. It never happened. Folks, I, I mean, I'm not trying to look for things. If anything, I'm trying to like, I, I overpraise some of this stuff and then it turns out it's not really enacted. I mean, come on. And then for the president to just say, the border is more secure than ever. This is what I really resented. He glossed over a detour. So he's like, the border was terrible when I came in, and now it's greater than ever. That's essentially what he said. I, I did this. I got rid of the problems. I got rid of catch and release. Now, the problem is he took a little 18-month detour that he glossed over. In between that, there were 18 months worth where it was even worse than under Obama, where we went backwards and... Where, you know, to this day, we have a record number of MS-13 people in the country as a result of that. And we're paying for it. Now, the, the, the numbers are now on the decline. Still not, by the way, where they were when he got them down in 2017. We're, we're still digging out of the hole. But to say it's more secure than ever, that's not true. Because in terms of the criminal aliens, the previously deported people, the endless, endless, endless Central American sex offenders, and there are a lot of them, that you see everyday press releases saying that CBP caught them. But for everyone we catch, let me tell you, we're not catching them because we need the military and a military strategy and tactics at the border. Otherwise, this is not going to stop. And we need to cut off the magnets to actually have interior enforcement. Then, frankly most of the pressure on the border will be taken off. That's more important than the wall. Which, by the way, is not going to be 500 miles. He, he is finally constructing it, but it's not going to be five. It's going to be closer to, to 100 miles. Maybe 150. It's not 500. And again, that, that's not... He doesn't have to take that as a failure. He could say, look, you know, Congress has blocked it, but... Here is my strategy for, look, I, I, I am going to veto any budget bill that doesn't prioritize national security. The courts, obviously, look, there's nothing more to say on that. Um, but, but again, and, and just also the sanctuary stuff. So, like, that was good. But every day he needs to follow up on this needs to actually do this stuff every day he should tweet about another case like he did last night he needs to direct the u.s attorneys to bring up charges against all these politicians that conceal harbor induce encourage transport illegal immigrants 
in violation of AUSC 1324, that restrict the flow of information between law enforcement and ICE, a violation of AUSC 1373. He needs to cut off all grant programs to sanctuary cities and demand that any budget have that. Oh, I can't win such a fight. Really? If the president would give a speech like that with the threat of a veto right before a budget fight? Here's my bottom line. The next budget deadline is September 30th, five weeks before the election. Everyone else in this industry will say, oh, Daniel, you can't have a budget fight before an election. It will be after the election. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's always the next time. Yeah, yeah, right. Let me tell you something. If you believe you have a hundred zero issue on, on hand, letting go other con- thousands, I mean, he's got the data to show it, of other, con- other countries, rapists, drug traffickers, murderers. Do you want to run away from that issue and hide until after an election? Or do you want to embrace it and confront them and shove it down their throats precisely before an election? If the president did what he did last night on sanctuaries, relentlessly for a month leading up to the budget battle, with the threat of a veto, with clear demands, Democrats would either have to cave to a certain extent, some of them, and their polling data would would show it. You run ads against them throughout, you know, July, August, September. Again, if I were the president, I would call them into session. I I wouldn't wait till September. I would make them stay in August. I'd keep them off the campaign trail. That's another way to screw the Democrat majority in the House. See, for the most part, Democrats have to play defense in order to keep the House. The challengers who you want to defeat them and get a majority for Republicans aren't in there. They're they're campaigning anyway. Um, Direct Social Security Administration IRS to stop indulging illegal alien tax returns and actually vet them out, clamp down on identity theft. You do that. I have a whole article on that. Um, I mean, this issue is over with. So, um, So that's the thing. I think on religious liberty, the president has been terrific. I think his message was terrific. I think it was heartfelt. I think that's one issue he's really embraced well. I mean, again, aside from the judicial supremacy, but I think he's done. And to his credit, you know, a lot of us thought with the New York values, he wouldn't be into this. He has actually gone out ahead of the so-called social conservative groups. All they care about is more Muslim refugees and jailbreak. He's actually been pushing this stuff. So that that, that was good. But, um, you know, foreign policy, I wish... He did, you know, talk about killing Soleimani and the need to get out of these wars, but uh, it's not quite happening. I think he needed to give a little bit of a stronger vision for national security and what what we should and shouldn't be doing with our military, what our military is needed for. But again, you know, it's different focus. But look, you know, none of this is tilting at windmills. None of this is not achievable. This is all very achievable. I'm always going to give you the ideal of what I think is achievable and is the right thing to do. Varying tranches and levels of what I think we can do in between. I'm always going to look for opportunities. That's what we need to do. But the worst thing we could do is think we have the ball in the end zone when we do not. 
Because remember, a lot of the good things are very temporary, very ephemeral, haphazard, superficial, and can and will be easily overturned by either courts or future Democrats. The bad things that are getting done even under this greatest conservative president ever, so to speak, are very much impactful and permanent. And their ground we are permanently losing. So that's the thing. The jailbreak, the Ivanka care, the increased spending, that's happening. Putting Americans first in immigration, healthcare promises, reorienting our foreign policy, not so much. You know, when, when the president spoke so articulately, articulately about the First Amendment and freedom of expression and religious liberty, he then said, he brought this back to um, the Second Amendment. And I, I've already said how I feel that the president could have so effectively straddled both crime and the Second Amendment. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't, that wasn't done. But towards the end, the president said, just as we believe in the First Amendment, we also believe in another constitutional right that is under, under siege all across the con our country. So long as I am president, I will always protect your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Folks, I mean, it's a little bit ir ironic that the only things he has done as president, and I think this is pretty accurate, correct me if I'm wrong, are actually negative on this issue. Illegally reclassifying bump stocks as machine guns, fixed nicks. It was one other thing and that I'm, I'm forgetting. You guys could remind me. It was a third thing. They had the trifecta of control and would not pass right to, right, right to carry reciprocity. Folks, I mean, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't point that out. I know some people are going to hate me raining on their parade. Everyone's on cloud nine and I get it. But this is exactly how we get drunk on talking points where the actions actually contradict it. Here's the deal. I appreciate, and I really do, and I'm not saying this sarcastically, eloquent speeches. I think they're needed. I think the president has, has a job to do that. That was one of Reagan's biggest uh, strengths that we all agreed to. And, you know, the theatrics, the make America feel good, patriotism, I think, I think it's terrific. It's needed. He needs more of it. He's continue doing it. But the eloquence of his speech needs to lead. It needs to birth successful, eloquent actions. And he needs to give these speeches, not just at a timed, traditional set time of the year, like the State of the Union or a campaign rally, but after events like the Pensacola terror attack at certain legislative points, certain events going on with, with sanctuaries and jailbreak that you could harness public attention, but not just to make a point, but to literally make America great again. We'll talk about in the coming days some of these jailbreak stories. I'm sitting on tons of them that are just terrible. There's a prosecutor in Ingram County, Michigan. This is Lansing, very liberal, that is considering releasing or opening up 
reopening cases of 90 individuals convicted to life in prison without parole for murder in that county. Forget about nonviolent, low level. They are going for the highest level people. And rather than confronting it, Trump is broadly agreeing to the premise that somehow we're being too tough in general on crime and crime is already down and we're good to go. Look, I hope this presentation today, the show was helpful. I'm really not trying to take down the president, just the opposite. I'm, I'm trying to, to get the best for him, the best for us, more importantly, for as, as a country. You know, I believe we will never succeed until we have a new political party. The Republican Party is broken from head to toe. But with that said, Trump is what we have now. We're not going to get better. And what we have from him potentially is pretty darn good. If we actually take yes for an answer, stay focused, build a movement, and utilize him for a much better second term. This stuff is all achievable. As long as I'm in this business, I'm not here just to hear myself talk. I'm, I'm here to push for what's right. And you'll see that by my article today. It praised the president, but gave a little bit constructive prodding of what needs to be done on one particular issue, the sanctuary issue, to make his eloquent speech a reality. I'm always going to be forward-looking. So don't accuse me of, oh, you're negative. That, that's crap, and you know it. There's nobody around in this business on any side of the aisle that, is, that has given more positive policy ideas and strategies than I have. And it's an honor to have a platform to continue doing that. With the help of you guys, pass on your information, what you want me to do. Let's make this a group effort. Till tomorrow, thank you very much, and God bless you all.